0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: I think the dairy thing have just been kind of over overdone or overcooked, if you will. I think there's bigger things at play. We're not really aware of. I mean, we're just getting the rhetoric. None of us are really
0: in that room. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Hope Harvest is off to a good start for our friends in the Upper Midwest. I'm Mike Pearson, co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast, joined today by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing?
2: I'm pretty good, Mike. How about you?
0: You know, can't complain. It is a beautiful, beautiful fall day out there today.
2: Oh, right, because fall officially started on Saturday, right?
0: Oh gosh, yeah, I suppose it did.
2: You think so? I think that's the fall equinox.
0: Yep. Yep, you're right. Are you a uh, are you a fall lover, Delaney? Are you getting fired up about pumpkin spice lattes <laughs> and sweater weather?
2: Um, I don't like pumpkin spice lattes, but I do like pumpkin flavored things. I saw At the grocery store, they've got, like, pumpkin-flavored cereal and bread, Pop-Tarts. So, yeah, I'll probably partake in some of the pumpkin-flavored things this fall.
0: Well, good, good. Keep that, uh, you know, basic Delaney (laughs) lifestyle afloat, I suppose.
2: I made some pumpkin bread this weekend. I was home at my parents' and it's one of my mom's specialties, so we made some of that.
0: Fun is it like banana bread? You take yeah. goofy pumpkin and bake it up. Okay.
2: Yeah, well, it's like canned pumpkin that you'd use for like pumpkin pie, which oh, I also gotcha. love.
0: Really, you're a pumpkin pie person.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Are you not? Yeah,
0: I like I like just about one piece of pumpkin pie per year with ice cream.
2: Yeah. That that about
0: does it for me.
2: Yeah, Thanksgiving time, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, usually, you know, Thanksgiving, uh, I'll, I'll have one small slice, and then I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm good for another uh, 12 months.
2: <laughs> oh, well, I like, I could eat it probably any time, but we also started harvesting this weekend at my house, so that was very exciting.
0: How are things looking?
2: I think they were going to be done with corn today, honestly. They've been running kind of around the clock the last couple of days.
0: How's, uh, how are yields? Your dad pretty pleased?
2: Um, He didn't say about that. I'm guessing not pleased this year because corn was just so dry. I don't know. I mean, we got some rain right at the end, so I haven't asked him what he's been getting for yields. But beans are still green, so it looks like it's going to be a couple weeks out for folks around my parents' neighborhood in southeast Iowa.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, just here in Grinnell in east central Iowa, I saw the first combine running in corn here. Mm-hmm. Must have been on Friday. They got uh, one field out just about two miles south of me. Otherwise, all the corn is uh, is still standing, at least here in my immediate, you know, say a five-mile radius. But yeah. I know some folks are, are making a hard run at it, and sounds like Illinois is making pretty good progress by and large. So we'll just have to keep track of what all is happening as harvest progresses.
2: Yeah, I think quite a few farmers are getting getting in the field and getting stuff done.
0: Well, Delaney, hopefully they are tuning into the podcast while they're running the combine or the yes. grain cart, perhaps hauling grain in the town or their bin site. What news do we have for them today? What do you have?
2: We've I got just a little bit. It's kind of a slower news day, but on Friday we had the cattle on feed numbers, and I know we've got some cattle producers so I thought we could run through some of those really quick.
0: Do it. What it look like?
2: Well, we're definitely seeing not a wall of cattle, but we're definitely seeing an increase in feedlots. Here, we're up seven percent this year from 2017, and it said placements in August were 2.07 million head, and mostly from cattle weighing less than 800 pounds. But but what the but weights of placements weighing less than 600 pounds were 430,000 head. 600 to 700 pound placements were 335,000, and then placements of 700 to 779 were 460,000 head, while 800 to 899 were 475,000. So seeing quite a bit of placement increase there. It's going to be interesting, um, I think, to see what happens when those placements get through onto the kill floor. probably middle, beginning of first quarter.
0: Yeah, what's your what's your take here? I know you had a great conversation with uh, with fantastic cattleman Walt mm. Hackney on Friday. What were what were his thoughts?
2: You know, yeah, that's a good question. Um, he's kind of an iconic man in the cattle industry, and has, he has some yeah, interesting. Well, <laughs> no, he sure is. He has some interesting thoughts to say. Um, when I asked him if he thought that there was a wall of cattle, he just absolutely said no. Like that was the answer. <laughs> was just no um so he doesn't see that wall of cattle being an issue at least in this year he said you know maybe looking at the beginning of 2019 is when we may see an increase but packer margins are up there's really i mean there's incentive to keep killing so i don't know it's going to be interesting
0: yes and delaney the proper term today is harvesting yeah, okay, those whatever. animals
2: so if Peta yes. listens then we don't get in trouble right
0: I know they're going to be mad. Regardless, PETA's got nothing better to do. They all need <laughs> rental properties so they can stay busy. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that is interesting. Basically, the the big numbers for our listeners who maybe didn't see it, uh, cattle on feed numbers were at 105% over a year ago. Yep. Placed, we were 107. And marketed, we were just at 100% of year ago levels. The big number that jumped out at me was the other disappearance. We saw 112% mm-hmm. of last year's disappearance rate, which – it You know, it can be ascribed to a number of different things. And I, yeah, I I don't know. It's just the disappearance, I think, is always an interesting category to uh, to yeah. keep an eye on.
2: Like, do people steal each other's cattle? Do they just die? You know, some it,
0: yep. Some of it is mortality. Some of it could be, although I'm betting it's not, because cattle on feed only looks at lots bigger than a thousand head. Right. Uh, I was going to say it could be some folks are maybe pulling some off show lists and selling them local. You know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. plenty of margin there if you want to contract a processor in town and do some local quarter or half beefs for sale. That's there's definitely profit there. Well, but we're, I, I, you know, I don't know how many of that, how much of the, that is happening.
2: At the Howell family farm, we're adding to disappearances because we've had a loose, I think it's a heifer now since mm, beginning of the summer. She just wanders around, wanders around the, the county neighborhood.
0: There you go. That would count as disappearance. Pearson cattle always has had has contributed to that as well, I should say.
2: Yep. No kidding.
0: Well, Delaney, so you hit on something there. We're talking beef. You're talking uh, plenty of demand keeps those kill levels high. One of those main drivers of demand has been beef exports. We've continued to see year-on-year phenomenal increases in exports, most of which heading to Japan and South Korea. And we've got some South Korea news today. We do. What is it? So one of the not the very first thing, of course, tearing up the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership was one of the first things, if not the first thing President Trump did in office. But one of the first number of things was basically threatening to get out of the U.S.-Korean Free Trade Agreement. And uh, that prompted South Korea into action. President Trump said it was a terrible deal and uh, we were getting hosed here in the U.S., so they went back to the drawing floor, and today they are going to re sign an updated chorus K R K O R U S chorus. Yeah, yeah. Korea U S Free Trade Agreement. Yep. And uh, basically, uh, nothing really has changed. There was some minor updates to some of the way intellectual property is looked at, some minor updates to sort of medical device handling and patent protections. As far as ag goes, it looks like everything is still going to be the same. We should maintain that wide open pipeline into South Korea for U.S. beef exports. This new course will be signed today mm. at 345 uh, Eastern time this afternoon
2: that 's exciting i I wonder if we 'll see any spark in the markets today from that. I mean tomorrow from that i I
0: kind of doubt it because yeah. nothing really changed
2: right you know there no, was true
0: there was no real real reduction or modification in in anything outside of a few mm-hmm. very, very niche industries. However, I do think this is a good sign. I believe, and listeners correct me if i 'm mistaken. But I believe this is the first new deal signed under President Trump. New, you know, in quotes, the first free trade agreement that we've actually signed and not just backed out of. So I think that is a good sign, hopefully, for the future.
2: It sounds like it, Mike. Uh, A good sign or a bad sign, I should say, for the future is not Negotiating with China because we were supposed to have a summit in DC this week for negotiators from both sides to come together and according to the Wall Street Journal that has been cancelled. Today those tariffs went into effect another $200 billion by the US and $60 billion in counter tariffs from China and of course we uh, will see if Pre- President Trump follows through with an additional $256 billion worth but A little nerve wracking here as we continue to watch that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It certainly sounds like uh, we will see that 257 billion go on. We'll know as of midnight tonight if China follows through on their retaliations. Mm -hmm. One final piece of trade news and then we can then I'm done with this topic, Delaney, unless you've got other trade stuff. But uh, we had an update here from the European Union. Cecilia Malmstrom, who is the EU trade commissioner, said the EU and the United States are still in exploratory talks on how they can pursue a limited trade agreement. Back here two three years ago, the trade community was really working on TTIP, the whatever, basically TPP for Europe, between the U.S. and Europe, the Technological Trade Investment Partnership. I don't know what the heck it stood for. Uh, President Trump, of course, tore that up. It was a a multilateral deal, and then he had that meeting with young Claude Juncker here a couple months ago, and we're still making progress. Might see some kind of a trade agreement come together with Europe here over the next, it's going to be several months, possibly a year. She said, we haven't started any negotiations yet. But people are talking to each other, and we will have a new meeting in November.
2: All right. Well, Mike, I had just two other quick pieces of news today. Starting with Bayer, they're trying to or going to appeal the California case of Dwayne Johnson, and not Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Dwayne right. Johnson, that was a groundskeeper, a gardener, who filed a lawsuit claiming that He got um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma from Roundup Ready, and I believe just today, Baer filed the appeal, which was um, $289 million worth that was awarded to Dwayne, saying that the evidence was not supported and not provided enough evidence at the August trial.
0: Yeah, which... That was expected. You know, Bayer, of course, wasn't going to write a check for two hundred and seventy nine million without certainly making an effort to get the the deal redrawn or reconsidered. Yep. Speaking of big checks, Delaney, there have been two stories really driving the news today. The first is Brett Kavanaugh and the, uh, oh, gosh, ongoing shenanigans. I don't want to
2: even talk about that.
0: Not connect to agriculture. We're just going to avoid that completely. We're going to punt it. Uh, but that's, that's chewing up a lot of the airwaves today when it comes to news. The other one is a group of analysts, oil analysts, have gotten together and they expect oil prices to rise towards $100 a barrel by the end of 2018, early 2019, basically because the sanctions against Iran, one of the world's largest oil producers, are going to start to bite and that is going to force a lot of Asia to come back into sort of the more standard market and put a lot more demand on crude oil supplies. Hmm. If this happens, producers, remember, we need crude oil for pretty much everything yeah. we do. All of our nitrogen is, you know, derived from crude oil or natural gas, you know, all of these things. Everything to run our our machinery is powered by crude oil. So this might be a time, if you haven't locked in a lot of your uh, spring needs for for fuel, Ah, yeah, I'd be tempted to certainly look at locking in a chunk of it and, uh, you know, then at least maybe take a little bit of this risk off the plate because it seems like we have a little bit of a heads up here. Might see another $20 spike here in uh, crude oil futures heading through the year.
2: Okay. Well, Mike, the last piece of news I have for today is just a little bit of an update here on some final numbers or, well, not quite final numbers from Hurricane Florence. North Carolina is continuing to review the damage that it caused to their ag industry and so far have calculated as of yesterday that poultry losses are at 4.1 million birds, representing 57 farms and 211 different poultry houses, and their swine losses remain at about 5,500 head of swine.
0: Okay. Bad, but not... uh... Not the end of the world for, right. uh, for North and I Carolina. Think,
2: I think they're still waiting. I'm, and I think that the concern is still that um, manure flooding facilities or manure flooding could cause, I guess, drowning um, on some of the hog farms, too.
0: Mm. Oh, still. That's still a threat.
2: I, I think so.
0: Ugh, wow. Yeah. 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 Keep keep uh, North Carolina in your prayers. A lot of producers out there are struggling as we head into harvest time. Yes. and. Delaney, that brings me to my final story, not necessarily ag-related, but of course, Harvest means a lot of hours in machinery, right? We're riding mm-hmm. in the combine, we're riding in the green cart, we're riding in the semi, and of course, that means we got to have stuff to listen to, right? Yes. And you're a serious fan. You're a serious XM person, aren't you? Yes. I am a Pandora person. I love Pandora. I keep it on my cell phone and stuff, wear it in my headphones, the news I have today is that Sirius has agreed to purchase Pandora, oh. the $3.5 billion all-star, all-stock deal. We don't yet know what this is going to do for rates of either Sirius or for Pandora Premium, but it is expected to generate about $7 billion in additional revenue for the combined company. So I would expect to see possibly some rate hikes in the future, Delaney. So maybe get mm. on there and try to lock in your Sirius subscription for a little bit longer.
2: Yeah, if it goes up anywhere I probably would cancel it. Oh no. I like it, but it's just I don't know. Yeah, you don't love it. I li lo- I know, I think I've kind of fallen in love with like the personalities on it, like the talent.
0: Perfect. Yeah, yeah that's that's what drives audio. That's what it's all about.
2: That's hopefully that's why people listen first, right? Mike?
0: Personalities, Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, we've got some uh some mixed personalities in the grain markets today, Delaney. Before we talk to our good Canadian friend Matthew Pott, what do you think? Should we jump into the markets?
2: Let's do it, Mike.
0: All right, folks. And our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Harvest is getting on. You're going to start to be thinking about what to do with all of this crop you're harvesting. Give our friends at Zaner a call. They can help you put a plan in place and stick to it to reduce your marketing risk. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or find them on the web at zaner.com. And in the corn market, these corn up three and a quarter cents at 360 and a half. The March contract also higher by three and a quarter at 372 and a half. In soybeans, the November down six and a quarter cents at 841 even. The January down six closed the day at 855 and a quarter. Chicago wheat, December contract up five and a quarter cents at 527 even. The March up four and three quarters to close at 545 and a half. Jumping over on the livestock side, we've got weakness in the cattle complex today. October live cattle down 90 cents at 121.17 and a half. The December down a dollar forty five closed at 117 even. Looking at feeder cattle, the September contract off 50 cents at 156.45 the October down a dollar 7750 closed the day at 15630 and mixed trade in lean hogs with the October up 70 cents at $61 the December down 42 and a finished the day at 5697 and a half. and of course a quick look at the dairy market in class 3 milk September contract down a penny at 1613 with the October down 6 cents to bring us to 1598 and without further ado, let's jump it up to the Great White North and hear from our pal, Matthew Pot. Hashtag Market Monday brought to us by our friends at Barber Cattle. Are you looking to buy or sell quality cattle? Make Barber Cattle your first call. Laura Barber of Barber Cattle and Sons of Kentucky can connect you with high-quality cattle, and they work nationwide. Call Laura at 859-229-7691. That number again, 859-229-7691. Get the best cattle with Barber.
2: Well, for today's Market Monday discussion, we're talking to one of our friends north of the border, Matthew Pott, who is an analyst and economist in Ontario, Canada, and author of the daily column, Grain Perspectives. Matt, thanks so much for talking to us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: Matt, I want to start here. I know it's a Market Monday episode, but I want to talk about one of the fundamentals affecting the markets, and that is NAFTA. Give us an update from the Canadian perspective, is dairy really the holdup at this point? What are people in Canada talking or saying about NAFTA?
1: I, I I think the dairy thing has just been kind of over overdone or overcooked, if you will. I think there's bigger things at play that we're not really aware of. I mean, we're just getting we're just getting the rhetoric. None of us are really in that room. So I think your other key factors are gonna be Chapter 19, which is all about mm-hmm. your disputes um, solution, that's going to be real key, and that's something our governments definitely set on, trying to make sure we have a good agreement that way. And here in Canada, the other thing, and I don't know how much of the hiccup this would have necessarily is just the media access or the cultural access. I mean, we like, um, I guess the government really wants to keep control on what um, can Fox buy our, our news networks and whatever have you, and I, I think that is, is generally fair personally, just being the fact that we need to keep our identity. We're already getting a lot of U.S. news and um, whatever else much less than you get, much more sorry than what you would get in Canadian, right? And then I, I also hear a little bit of rumbling that um, it's your patents on things like pharmaceuticals and how long until we could, how companies can actually produce a generic version and etc. So there's there's things still going on, but at the same time, October 1st, that's the Quebec election here. So that's definitely the political advantage from the Trudeau government is to kind of let this deadline slide, because right now the, the focus needs to be on Quebec, and if there's anything, any news where Canada has to give up something, that's not going to fare well in the key battleground of Quebec, especially when we have a federal election up, up and coming in a year.
0: So Matthew, just because a lot of our listeners and myself included aren't all that hip to how Canadian politics operates, when you say this is a Quebec election coming up, what offices are being elected and how does this tie into, you know, Pres or Prime Minister Trudeau's uh, you know, continuing power in office?
1: It has nothing to do with Trudeau's continuing power in office right now. What it does have to do is focusing on the next election and making sure that Quebec gets, I mean, right now it's a relatively close. The Conservatives have an advantage over the Liberals to win Quebec. So the way that politics work here is you've got the federal level, then you've got the provincial level where the elections are different times, and we elect what's called the premier, and it operates for the most part the exact same as the federal, and then we go down to the municipality, right? So it's three-tier here, and so... Getting, um, maintaining Quebec is key when it comes down to winning the federal election. And obviously if the liberals, um, the liberal party in general is going to want to make sure that they keep as many seats or get as many seats in Quebec as possible right now, the conservatives have the control for the most part, but it's close enough that it's definitely worth, um, kind of leaving any bad news out. Right. Hmm.
2: Matt, the other thing I I wanted to ask you about, because I'm curious, and we've kind of been discussing it with some farmers. We did a road trip a couple weeks ago, um, and and we're in South Dakota, but would it be possible for farmers in North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, some of those bordering states to Canada to ship, well, especially beans, uh, to Canada? I mean, would that ever make sense? Have you heard anything about that being a possibility?
1: I have heard some beans coming over uh, in a few locations, and obviously I'm not going to necessarily give too much indication of what I heard because it's all just rumors to the most part. But, I mean, is it a possibility? We are going to export to China, right? Is it a possibility that we could fill our domestic crush with U.S. soybeans and export ourselves and still follow the rules? Sure. Um, When it comes down to shipping to China, will U.S. soybeans end up in there? Sure. I think that's definitely within the cards. Um, how much of that will happen? I don't know. Like, it's not like we, we're typically around 7, 8 million metric tons. The U.S. would ship, you know, let's say 30, 35 million metric tons to, to China or whatever have you. We can't just go out and say that our production is 40 million and we're going to ship 40 million metric tons to China, right? So, but we do have a lot of musical chairs going on in these markets mm-hmm. when it comes down to exports. Argentina. Them. yeah um it will be interesting to see how this all turns out
0: yeah yeah it, it absolutely will and and actually, while we're talking beans let's let's just jump right into it. We got a little weakness here in the Chicago board on beans today, you know of course, tariffs and blah, blah blah all that stuff trade is is having a big impact but but yields are as well Matthew when you're looking around the world and when you're thinking about the soybean market. What's your take here going forward? Have, have we hit the harvest low, do you think?
1: I think it all really depends. Have, could we pass $8 again at some point? Sure. Um, but I would lean more towards the fact that by the time, especially with corn more so than soybeans, I mean, December and January could be your better month. If China, if we start getting, you know, even a couple announcements that China bought some new purchases of soybeans, who knows what the market's going to do? I mean, mm-hmm. the funds are still relatively relatively short in the market. We saw a short covering rally last week, um, or profit taking, which helped out. And we hit a resistance, in my opinion, around 8.50. We went to 8.55, and we closed um, Thursday, I believe, at, at 8.50. So how high can this, can this market go right now, given the fact that this crop in the U.S. is, is going to be big, right? So... Is consolidation uh, could be what happens here before we get some more strength? Um, who knows? When it comes down to it, I think in this type of market, it's risk management that's key. The advantage is um, for us in Canada is that we still, even though our dollar is a little higher right now, we still have a weak dollar, which is helping us still get at uh, ports, you know, 11 dollars maybe 11 50 if we get a little strength here um, to the port price. But who knows where this um, where the soybean market can go in China. China could be a pain about this whole thing. You're seeing substitution. And we still have other bearish factors, like the fact that Brazil is going to practically plow down rainforest to plant more soybeans, right? And mm-hmm. we got that African fly fever, too. So there's there's big-picture resistances um, in the market right now as well. So maybe, you know, when we get into – October late November we might see that historical little bit of strength too but it's it's kind of like a it's a market that is full of emotions right now and it continues to be that way right
2: Matthew looking at emotions and stories I know you've talked about selling the story before in the in the soybean market in particular would you be selling on rallies or on, on small stories that cause short rallies, or would you advise producers to hold on? I mean, if, if producers have to sell some beans here, what should they be doing? I mean, we talked. To, you mentioned risk strategy as well there. Can you walk us through some of that?
1: I think a lot of that's going to depend on what percent sold you are. I mean, your risk tolerance, if you're 60 70% sold when you sold over the $10 mark last spring is going to be a lot different than, the, than if you're in 0% sold, right? Um, and, and so when it comes down to the 0% sold thing, I, I think we definitely want to manage risk um, one way or another. And that all really depends on, on the producers, right? You can sell incrementally in these type of um, environments. You can look at options. A lot of that, because because where we are far as price, I wouldn't go out and say, okay, let's, get everybody to 60% sold tomorrow because it really depends on on where you were before, right? Um, 60 to 70% or or higher right now, I'm comfortable waiting this out a little bit here for my Ontario producers. When it comes down to my U.S. producers, it's a conversation each time about finances
2: and making
1: sure that um, we're managing that aspect of the business because nothing's really certain. We, we, uh, We... People were talking about reaching seven dollars or $7.50 on futures only a month ago, and some might be still talking about that right now. But I think when it comes down to it, that tariff's pretty much all priced in, and we're going to be looking looking forward to demand. and In the long run, you call me out the uh, area in Iowa. How many producers are going to plant more corn on corn right mm-hmm. now, at least?
0: A lot is is yeah. just my totally anecdotal coffee shop conversation number is, you know, depending on what happens with their lenders come January and February or, you know, late December, um, as long as they're able to, I'm hearing a lot of folks looking to add more corn acres this next year. Is that a similar story in Ontario or are, are they pretty fired up about adding more bean acres?
1: I mean, well, i talked to somebody today that, um, a producer today that's, Convinced that he might probably gonna add a little bit more um, more coordinators. In fact,
2: so it kind of
1: makes you wonder. I, I think once we get to uh, February and March, we might have assuming that everything's status quo as the same as it is right now. Which it, it won't be, Mike. It won't. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think these acre wars is going to be different than most, where we can just analyze ratios. I think there's going to be a lot of uncertainty and a lot of um, emotions come to play. Right. As far as how many acres are going to go in the ground, and that's going to be the interesting thing. Do some producers go for the contrarian view and plant soybeans as opposed to planting more corn, and bet against everybody else? And who knows? It all depends what prices are and where China and the U.S. are sitting at that time as far as uh, trade negotiations.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the gorilla in the room. And since, hey, we're talking about corn, you know, we've got a nice little rally here. Geese is back up over 360. We're seeing March trading 370, low 370s. Yeah, what are your thoughts here? As the combines start to roll, is corn still the crop you're most comfortable selling right off the combine if, if growers are out of space?
1: I, I I like the corn picture come December and January right now. I think the market's very calibrated. Um, or very, yeah, it's it's just used to those headline stories on um, just how big this crop is. Right now, today, we're just hanging out around a general downtrend on the December futures chart and another resistance point up ahead at at 370. So depending on how long you want to hold this and, um, you know, when it comes down to it, we could end up consolidating sideways. Once we get the bin doors closed here, we could see some strength, um, some more strength than we are right now, but that 370 region might be a tough one to break without a story. At that point, we might start to focus a little bit on global, which is going to have, that picture might be a lot different than what it is right now, too, but the global picture is still relatively bullish in the corn market, so... It wouldn't surprise me in the coin market to see that same old story where once the bins are closed, your December, January strength. Um, and if you some producers might have free storage for that time or can make it through there, I think that's the point when I, depending again, Mike, on what percent old you are, right? But I, I don't think we're going to hit some home runs during that time because mm-hmm. we are going to get closer to the big acre war question, but... January might just be the optimal time for the corn market, and um, depends. Realistically, that's going to be different for every producer, right? And what percent sold you are um, each commodity, but um, it's there's lots of questions that we're going to find out there. But I think I think we might get a little bit of resistance up ahead here. But I'm more looking at a long-term game right now, as far as what the market's concerned, with considering the support in the market. Especially the corn market right now. Who knows? We might actually in the corn market just generally trade between three forty, three thirty-five, and three seventy-two. Right? USDA. I don't know what are they going to come out next time. Right? Generally, big crops keep on getting bigger. Um, Is that trend going to move up? You tell me. Right.
2: (laughs) You're supposed to be telling us, Matt. You're the you're the expert here. Uh, Really quick before we let you go. (laughs) Matt, before we let you go, give us your thoughts on the wheat market. We've got some issues in Russia, potentially in Australia, the EU. What's going on?
1: The wheat market continues to be that sell-the-story. Um, I always like to say whenever we get a big rally in the wheat market like we got here in July, it's sell-the-story. I mean, we're going to get another story at one point um, the wheat global wheat situation is more bullish than what it has been in the last couple of years, right? So uh, I would almost look at the fact that we're just kind of follow some sort of consolidation pattern here, knowing the fact that we do have good support from Russia and from Australia, albeit Russia's projections are a little higher than what they were a month and a half ago. But I, I think some other story will come up at one point, keeping in mind, too, that it's, it's very, well, especially when you look at Ontario producers here, we sold a lot of wheat um, at one point in Canadian dollars. We could sell 2018, 2019, and 2020 wheat for over $7, $7 to $7.50, right? And so there was definitely producers locking in some of that profit. And how much of that happened in the States, I don't know if we will see the full story um, until we start getting into in a couple months or even even longer, right? Um, I think that's going to be some resistance on the wheat market as well. So lots of things moving around, but how many, Mike and Delaney, how many stories have we got in the last two years? Yeah. And how many times have we 100% ate back that story within a matter of, you know, one month up or two weeks up or whatever, two weeks down, we eat that all back, or one month down, we eat that all back. That seems to be the general trend in the wheat market. So... I don't like yeah. to make it too complicated. I like to just say sell any story as it goes and sell incrementally into it and don't try and hit the highs. Take an average price. And um especially with low commodity prices in general, you want to lock in some profits, you know, average out your, your revenue on the farm to make sure that you can keep on operating at the level you want to.
0: Absolutely. Take the money when the market's giving it to you and stick it in your pocket. Matthew Pot, if we've got listeners who want to get more of your insight every day, tell us where can they do that? How should they get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, Twitter's one way a lot of producers contact me. Send me a direct message at Matthew Pot. That's with one T, um, on the pot. And you can also go to www.drainperspective.com sign up for a free trial there or email me at matt at dot and i'll get you on the list for a trial 30-day trial
0: fantastic well matt pot we always appreciate your insight and appreciate you taking the time to talk to us thanks guys
1: have a wonderful day
2: well matt always has some interesting perspectives to share there especially with uh what's going on with nafta i think that's just great insight mike
0: It is, you know, it's always good to hear the perspective of uh, of north of the border. And you know, I was intrigued that he said that not all Ontario producers are chomping it or champing at the bit, rather, to plant more soybeans this next year. That's interesting to me. I figured they'd all Mm -hmm. be lined up to uh, put beans in the ground there. Yeah, I'm kind
2: of, I was kind of surprised by that, but uh, not bad news for us by any means. By for U.S. producers, I should say. We've got some Canadian listeners too, so. Absolutely,
0: but if any of our listeners from any continent or country, Delaney, Mm -hmm. want to get in touch with us, how should they do it?
2: Oh, they can find us on Facebook and on Twitter, Mike, by the handle at AgNewsDaily, or if they're not on social media, they can always head to agnewsdaily.com and listen to any of our past episodes there, or they can contact us directly through the website with any ideas or suggestions they've got or comments that they'd like to share with us. With that, Mike, should we let the people go?
0: Let's let them go.